Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. All right, welcome again to the Defender Bible Study. This is Rick Morton, Lifeline's Vice President of Engagement, and I'm Excited to be with you again today as we continue in our study of the book of First Thessalonians. Today we're going to be in chapter 5 of First Thessalonians, uh, the first 11 verses. And so as we, um, as we approach today and as we approach this Bible study, we are um, coming to the end of Paul's first letter to the church at Thessalonica. And we've talked about as we have um, been, been in this study that uh, Paul is writing to a church that he is familiar with, that he planted, that he spent some several weeks with, and and then moved on in, uh, in his missionary journey. Uh, this is a church that is taken really seriously what Paul taught them about uh, the second coming of Jesus and anticipating the second coming. As a matter of fact, they're, they're, they've taken it so literally and, and they're, they believe the second coming of Jesus to be so imminent that they, they actually have, have really just sort of stopped and waited. Um, and so we kind of joke sometimes that this is the church that uh, quit their jobs and, and sort of resigned life and sat in their front yard uh, in a lawn chair looking up at the sky and, and waiting for Jesus to return. And so Paul is, is really quick to honor the church for their faithfulness. He, he honors the, the fact that they've, they've, they've listened and they've learned and that they have a sense of the imminent coming of Jesus. But he also has um, sort of presented a warning to them about, um, about how they must continue to live um, in light of the, the the imminent return of Jesus, but how they must live well and must continue to uh, to tell people about Jesus and continue to live out the gospel. And so in chapter five, um, <clears throat> Paul begins and he, and he says something to them, um, which reinforces that. He says, now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. Um, so in other words, Paul, maybe even a little bit tongue in cheek, is saying to them, nobody has to tell you about the fact that Jesus is coming again. You obviously have gotten that and, and you understand it. He said, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. And so... So the first thing that we see is that Paul talks about this concept of the day of the Lord, and and we know that um, that in the in in talking about the day of the Lord, as we see that phrase, the day of the Lord in Scripture, um, that's that's coming uh, that that points to a day when when God is going to do something uh, important for His kingdom. That that the day of the Lord. Um, sort of signifies that day um, in in the culmination and in the in the full establishment of the kingdom of God. And so Paul's saying that like nobody has to tell you that that Jesus is is coming again and and that and that we don't really know the time or the hour that um, that Jesus is is going to return and he's going to return to establish his kingdom um, like uh, like a thief in the night. 
Um, that echoes what we see Jesus saying in Matthew chapter 16, verses 1 through 3. It says, And the Pharisees and Sadducees came to test him, and they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. Uh, he answered them, saying, When it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. Um, Jesus was criticizing the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees because, because they couldn't see the, the spiritual truth that was right in front of them, that was plain um, as the nose on their face. And he says, you're, you're able to try to read the weather and you're subject to try to, to predict the weather, but, but, you, but you can't even predict the future that's obviously in front of you. And, and Jesus was obviously talking about himself. He goes on in Matthew 24, beginning in verse 36 to say, and talking about the day of the Lord, Jesus himself said, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the son, but the father only for as it were in the days of Noah, so it will be in the coming of man, coming of the son of man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming, but know this, that the master of the house, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you all must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. And so Paul essentially is saying to the church here, look, the whole world is going about its business and acting like there's never going to be a time of judgment. There's never going to be a time when Jesus is going to return. And the whole world scoffs at the idea that, that Jesus is going to fully establish his kingdom. And he says, so don't be like them. Be people who are attentive and who are watching for the coming of Jesus and live every day like it's going to be your last, but live it intentionally. And, and so... Um, in light of the judgment of God that's coming, how should we as believers live? We ought to live as, as men and women who are eager to tell people about Christ and to tell people about the salvation that only comes uh, in Christ. And so, um, so Paul is, is very much um, challenging the church at this point for them not to stop and not to hide and not to shrink back, but ultimately for them to press on and to tell as many people about Jesus as they possibly can. We go on through uh, verses 4 through 8, and, and we see how the people respond. It says, But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. In other words, you're not unaware. You, you recognize what's going on in the world. You recognize sin, and you recognize the need for, for, for God to do something to account for and, and to atone for the sins of people. Um, and he says, For you all are children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. So he's saying, like, let's be vigilant. Let's keep watch. Let's, let's anticipate um, the coming of Jesus. He says, for those who sleep, sleep at night, verse 7, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith uh, and love and for, the, for a helmet, the hope of salvation. 
And so Jesus, I mean, or Paul again here, um, talks about this idea of the second coming of Jesus. And he says, look, let us be found as people who are doing those things that, that please God and, and doing those things that build Christ's kingdom. Let, let's be the people who are, who are not doing things that are covered by darkness. Let us not be people who are doing things that are shameful, but ultimately let us be doing things that are indicative of being children of the light. And so let us live like people who've been redeemed. And then Paul talks about, and he kind of gives us this allusion to uh, the, 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 the whole armor of God, which we know he talks about more fully in the letter to the church at Ephesus over in Ephesians chapter six. And so Paul talks about um, these offensive and defensive um, parts of the armor. And, and, and he reminds them that they are in a spiritual battle and that they are, they are in the midst of, of a, of warring against um, sin and warring against the, the forces of darkness, but they're not doing it by themselves and they're not doing it ultimately um, without the tools that are necessary in order to be able to wage the war. He, he reminds them about the breastplate of faith and, and love. He talks about this breastplate of faith, which ultimately faith is the thing that, that is protective of them and that, and that, and that guards their life. And he says, um, the, for the helmet of the hope of salvation, it's not, it, it, it's noteworthy to us that Paul talks about salvation as being the helmet in, in the army or in the armament of the soldier. Why that's important is because the helmet was ultimately the piece of armor that signified what army you're a part of. The plume on the top, the design of the helmet was so that you could be identified as a soldier of a particular army and so that soldiers could could identify each other when they were in the thick of battle um, and so that they could be identified by their commanders. And, and ultimately what Paul is saying by saying that the helmet represents salvation is he's saying, look, we're, we're given at the beginning of our initiation into the family of God. When we're brought into the family of God, we're given our salvation right up front. We're not like the Muslims where our salvation is in doubt and only if we do the right things or we continue to please God um, in the ways that that that, that he, he wants to be ple pleased in a greedy way like Allah, that, that we will merit some kind of salvation. No, he says, because of the work of Jesus, we have pleased God because Jesus satisfied our sin debt and because Jesus um, bought our um our redemption. We have been initiated into the family of God and into the army of God. And so we are marked. We have the helmet that says that we're part of the army and that we're recognized by the king. And and, and that ultimately um, that, that we don't have to wait until death to see what our eternal destiny is. And so he's saying, live like that. That is people who are living in a world where there's where there's doubt, where where there's where there's sin, where there's brokenness, where people are living in such a way that they believe that there's no eternal hope. He says, don't fall in, don't fall prey to that. Anticipate the coming of Jesus, but also live as people who have the power of Jesus right now to be able to overcome sin. Anticipate the coming of God by trying to bring as many people as you can along with you into the family of God. And so, you know, we see then that that, that the people respond, um, but then finally, we're we're verses nine through eleven. We see that the the deliverance of God is sure. It says, "For God has not destined us destined destined us that was tough for wrath." 
but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you're doing. So verse 9, he says, remember that we're not destined for the wrath of God. We're not destined for the judgment of God, but but ultimately we're destined to be saved, to be rescued, and, and, and to be brought into the family of God through the blood of Jesus. And, and, that, and that Christ died for us so that whether you live or you die, uh, ultimately, you are in Christ and you have nothing to fear. And so these believers were kind of living in a way that was fearful, anticipating the, the coming of Christ and ultimately the judgment of Christ. And it led them to sort of be paralyzed. And he's saying, don't be paralyzed. Go out and, and share Jesus far and wide. Go out boldly and do the work of ministry. And the reason that we're supposed to do that, the reason we can do that is because we have confidence in who Jesus is and in what he's done. And ultimately that Christ's power lives out through us. And so we, we see this idea that, that whether asleep or awake, Paul again, says and, 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 and beautifully says um, in, in his writing, he says, you know, in, in Philippians, for, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What's Paul saying? He's saying, ultimately, if you kill me, that's okay. That's great because I'm, because I'm going to be in the presence of Jesus immediately. Well, if you let me live, Paul says, like, that's okay because then I get to live and I get to live under Christ and I get to continue to tell people about Jesus and continue to know God uh, and, and to follow him through the, through the blood of Jesus. And so Paul's saying, look, there's no destiny that happens. There's no death. There's no life. There's no anything that happens that ultimately can steal the joy of being in Christ. And, and so, so our, our station and our circumstances don't matter. What matters is our place in Christ. And he was saying this to a church that was worried about their eternal destiny. They were looking up at the sky, worried about what, when Jesus was going to come and how he was going to find them. And Paul was saying, look, live like me. Live boldly, um, live boldly under Christ, live to the fullest to, to, to honor Christ and to tell people about Jesus as long as you're alive and that, and that what can man possibly take from you, the most that they can take from you is your life. And ultimately, to take your life means to usher you into the presence um, of your Savior. And, and so then he says, he, he ends by saying, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you're doing. And he says, so, so be encouraged. So today, folks, um, I just want to leave you with this thought. Be encouraged. Be encouraged that if you're suffering today, you're suffering with eternity in view. You're suffering knowing that your suffering is not in vain, but you're identifying with Jesus in your suffering and that God is using your life in order to be able to bring glory to himself and that ultimately uh, that you will be united with Christ in eternity and your suffering is only for a moment. Today, if you're living victoriously and everything is great and, and you can't imagine life getting any better. He's saying that there is a better life and the better life comes on the other side of eternity when we're with Jesus. And so to live is Christ and to die is gain. And we don't have to be afraid of the future. 
Um, you know, I find a lot of times that people think about studying end times in the book of Revelation and trying to understand uh, or, 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 you know, or looking in the book of Daniel or other places to try to understand eschatology and to understand what God is up to um, in the future that many times that creates anxiety among believers. And, and so I think the thing for us to remember is we don't have to be anxious because, because ultimately we're in Christ and he holds us and he will sustain us and he will work out and that ultimately he will work out things for our good and for his glory. And so I pray that you are um, you are well today and I pray that you're encouraged by this reality from God's word. And we invite you to, to join us next week as we conclude our study in the book of 1 Thessalonians and we continue then to press on um, towards 2 Thessalonians um, in God's word. And so thank you much for joining us and, and I pray that that the Lord this week will reveal himself to you in ways um, that help you to, to be bold in sharing Christ with other people and, and in confidence in your place in Christ. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study. Music